Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah. Hi, this is Denise from Chicago, and you are listening to the Tennis Podcast. Well, hello, everybody, and hello particularly to Denise from Chicago, who's introduced this edition of the Tennis Podcast. Denise pointed out that Martina Navratilova, who Catherine spent some time with this week, won 12 WTA titles in Chicago. Imagine that. I mean, in, <laughs> I didn't even know there was a tournament in Chicago, but apparently there was. Martina's won it 12 times, because if there's been a tournament, she's no doubt won it several. Uh, and Martina was presented with the Golden Racket Award by the Italian Tennis Federation this week. Lovely moment just before the, uh, the rain started again. Um, and uh, yes, Stefan Edberg also won a, an award last week but too uh, uh, in Rome. So there's been lots of awards and they've kind of managed to get some of the tennis played eventually as well. Uh, but very big thank you to, to Denise for introducing this edition of the Tennis Podcast. Uh, and Chicago, very much the city I would one day like to visit. Catherine is still just about in Rome, uh, in the lounge. And is that sunshine I can see out of your window next to you, Catherine? Yeah, it doesn't look like Rome because, in my experience, Rome looks wet and cold and grey and it's flipping glorious outside of the window <laughs> I am sitting next to at the moment. So I don't know what this Rome is, but I, I don't, I don't recognise it uh, from the last week of my experience. Um, yeah, interestingly, just on the, the Golden Racket Award that Martina was awarded yesterday, and I'm very glad she was, and it was an incredibly touching moment that we uh, covered on Prime, and um, Martina gave her speech in Italian, which was incredible. I was there behind the scenes with her when she was scripting it and rehearsing it, and she was checking with Daniela Hantikova, who's a fluent Italian speaker, that it would, all made sense and it sounded right, and I just loved the the effort and the diligence and the care that she put into that um and I don't mean to to piss on all of that but she actually didn't win Rome <laughs> it's like pretty much the only tournament that Martina never won <laughs> I did not know that <laughs> yeah yeah which I mean doesn't mean she's not worthy of a golden racket and and the the, the brief for the award is you know in recognition of achie- achievements in Rome and in the wider tennis world so goes without saying that Martina is a no-brainer of a recipient but ironically it is 
one of the only global titles that she she never won. <laughs> uh, Matt and I, meanwhile, have been sunning ourselves in the glorious British Isles. I mean, it has been non-stop sunshine, hasn't it, Matt? <laughs> <laughs> For the tape, Catherine is giving us the middle <laughs> finger. Um, <laughs> I've got no humour about it, David. You've read the room badly there. Oh, dear. OK. I got rained on sideways yesterday, David. Sideways? Mm. Sideways rain, yeah. Mm. OK. Paris, though. Have you seen the <laughs> forecast for Paris? No. Blimmin' have done nothing but look at weather forecasts for elsewhere this week. Uh, it looks glorious in Paris. It does. Yes, please. Yes. Oh, how, how excellent. Happy Roland Garros week, I suppose I should say. I've gone quite early and I've already signed up to the uh, media WhatsApp group, which I was excited to do, but day one and I'm realising it's a mistake because I've already had several notifications this morning that players such as Dan Aded is in the Suzanne Longlen mix zone and I A don't know who Dan Aded is and B am nowhere near the Suzanne Longlen mix zone so I've had to mute that chat already <laughs> okay. but I am <laughs> pumped for Roland Garros <laughs> how marvellous uh, well yes as we come to you it is it is Monday we are heading to Paris on Wednesday evening uh, just in time for the draw hopefully this year on Thursday we were trying to get there in time for the draw last year as well you may remember on a on a Eurostar which involved uh, in the end quite a bit of alcohol as we managed to get through the hours uh, and then the traffic jam and uh, yeah Catherine didn't have too much of a sense of humour about that either, as I recall. Uh, but anyway, we'll we'll have lots and lots of uh, of enjoyment uh, at Roland Garros this time to look forward to. Uh, and before we get on to talking about what's gone on in Rome, aside from sideways rain, uh, let's remind you that this edition of the Tennis Podcast is brought to you in association with On Location. And they are the premium hospitality and experience providers. On location, provide packages via Steve Fergal's international tennis tours to all of the four Grand Slam tournaments, including the US Open, which is on sale now with fantastic tickets to watch the action throughout the year's final Grand Slam tournament at Flushing Meadows in New York and hospitality packages if you really want to kick back and relax and have all-inclusive food and drinks in a lounge, a rooftop bar in between matches. They've got all of that. And we have got a 5% discount for tennis podcast listeners. Just go to toursfortennis.com forward slash podcast. That's tours, the number four, tennis.com forward slash podcast. Click the US Open discount section and enter the code FINALSLAM. For 5% off your ticket and hospitality package, you have until May the 31st at 11.59pm Eastern Time to get your discount and check your show notes for the fine print. Right. Rome. Had plans to go to a rooftop bar in Rome, David, but it pissed it down relentlessly for for a solid week. So (laughs) we'll have to go to a rooftop bar in New York to make up for it. You're really not exaggerating either, are you, Catherine? Because, I, I mean, I, I've had I, some... I've never known anything like it. I've had some weather in Rome over the years when I've been there. You know, I've seen days rained out. I've never seen anything like this. And, and I mean, the experience you had, I think, was right up there with anything I've ever had. Yeah, and I was with, you know, lots of ex-tennis players that between them have, you know, had 
decades and decades and decades on tour of going to tournaments week in week out and uh, they hadn't known anything like it either although having said that the tournament finished on time didn't it so there must have there must have been lots and lots of hours there where where it wasn't raining I mean quite frankly if the tournament hadn't been on clay we'd we'd be in the second round right now because the match most of the matches were played in rain of 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 some some degree of heaviness um and I actually think the the tennis was pretty good quality um largely in in spite of that um but yeah if if this tournament weren't on clay i, I mean it would be chaos the like of which we we might never have seen before but they were able to get the matches played in you know when the rain eased to just not even light drizzle i was going to say light drizzle there nope just pretty heavy drizzle it was right players grab your bags off you go Catherine you're on air in five put the hood up (laughs) um yeah and it just an extraordinary week Mm. Uh, look at the same time whilst it is not easy for tennis tournaments to to get through schedules and to play all these matches when you have heavy rain I've got a lot of experience from it from over the years at Queen's it's really tough and I don't want to do that down. At the same time, the way that Rome handled the rain and the... I mean, look, I'm afraid to say it, I'm going to have to do it again a, year, a week on from talking about what Madrid did with their, their doubles speeches and not allowing the players to talk. This time, we've had a women's singles final and it's been scheduled third match on on Saturday after two men's semifinals on a day forecast with heavy rain so the chances are your not before is going to be pushed back at the very least and the players Elena Rabakina and Angelina Kalinina have ended up getting onto court at 11 o'clock in the evening for a final for the final of the tournament and that's the treatment you're giving them when the following day the men's final is scheduled on its own with just a the doubles final before it some three hours before and it's scheduled at four in the afternoon i mean that that is telling you exactly how this tournament views the women's game and women generally i would say and uh i mean uh, before we talk about the tennis matches a couple of uh, tweets here one from pam shriver who tweeted these two wta 1000s madrid and rome have been fiascos for women's tennis there are no excuses but many reasons for the fiascos and, and this from Elise Cornet, a current player. A little sad to see that the women's final of one of the biggest WTA events of the season is starting at 11pm. And she tweeted that at the time. Nobody in the stands, of course, and not really cool for both players to start, start such an important match so late. Why not put both men's and women's finals tomorrow? Now, Matt, there, was a, a, there were a couple of um, conflicting messages coming out as to why they ended up playing that match on Saturday evening and not delaying it for the next day. One tweet from the L'Equipe journalist, uh, Kontan Moine, was saying that uh, the players wanted to play on Saturday night and not Sunday. That seemed to be um, disputed in what Angelina Kalinina said in her press conference. She seemed to be saying, look, we, we don't have any say in it. We just do what we're told. 
So I'm I'm not entirely sure what happened, but even even if they did say actually let's just get it get it played, they shouldn't be getting out there. They shouldn't be asked and scheduled to play. Then should they? That's the point, I think. Yeah, like tennis needs to have these red lines and it needs to say it is simply not acceptable for I would say any match really to be starting at 11 o'clock at night but certainly a final which is you know a showpiece event and the fact that you're scheduling the women's final after the two men's semi-final is 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 so problematic um there was a day during Rome where you had two men's quarterfinals as singles matches and that was it I think it was Thursday those were the only two matches scheduled Mm. And then you're trying to cram in the two men's semifinals and the women's final all on the same day. It just doesn't make sense if you're treating the women fairly to do it like that. And this is such a common thing in tennis, you know, just to sort of pick up on Pam's tweet there. There have been some very, very obvious, very egregious things which have been really appalling treatment of women over the last couple of weeks. We've had the the inappropriate ball girl outfits we've had the whole concept of model ball girls generally we've had the women's doubles ceremony in madrid that you referenced we've had the prize money being so much lower in rome but something like this is the sort of thing that happens in tennis regularly it just doesn't make big headlines but it's the kind of thing where women are treated as as second class because the default of every single joint tennis event is to put the men as the final match of the tournament. So the whole sort of schedule of of the tournament is built around those men. So yes, it's absolutely hard when you get rain, and I'm sure a lot of people were working very hard behind the scenes, but the system is in place as such that if there's any kind of difficulty, invariably it's the women who get shafted. And just off the top of my head, that's why... Uh, Angelique Kerber played that Wimbledon final with a not before start time that's why Joe Conta and Marketa Vondrosheva played their French Open semi-final at Roland Garros a few years ago on the third court and that's why here the women had to play at 11 o'clock at night so frankly whether it was best for the women on that occasion to play at 11 rather than wait until the next day I just think that shouldn't be the situation that we're in in the first place. We should anticipate that and have both finals on the same day or a final Saturday, a final Sunday. We need to give these matches proper space and proper time rather than trying to cram them in when you know that weather could come and you've not got a roof. So, yeah, it's hard, but I just think tennis needs to be anticipating these things and and showing that they're going out of their way to respect the women as as much as the men yeah that's all incredibly well put from Matt better put than 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 I could could probably do it because I'm sort of a bit clouded by just anger and fatigue I just feel so tired by it all because as Matt said this is you know this deeply entrenched misogyny is week in week out in tennis and I don't like I don't like constantly being the person that's whinging about it. But if you don't talk about it, it'll keep happening. Um, And I just, 
I can't help but think about the the next time. It's probably happening as we speak. The next time one of us individually or the podcast gets added on on Twitter, you know, when we tweet something vaguely supportive of of women or equal prize money, you know, the the mentions, the replies that'll say, yeah, well, when when women bring in the same number of eyeballs and the same amount of money to the sport, that's when they can have equal prize money. How on earth are women supposed to bring in equal eyeballs, equal sponsorship money, anywhere even close when the showpiece event of one of its biggest tournaments is being put on court at 11pm with barely anybody left in the stands watching because it's frigging cold and wet. The quality of the tennis wasn't very good because of what those players had had to go through behind the scenes. I was, I, I, I saw a lot of them behind the scenes trying to keep warm, trying to keep loose, trying to eat at the right times. And they both looked incredibly stressed, particularly Kalinina. You know, I had I had eyes on her a lot and I was concerned that something like this would happen. She'd never won a WTA title before. She was playing not only for herself, but to give some hope to the people of Ukraine. And there she is trying to put herself in a position to be able to play high quality tennis on the biggest stage in the most challenging possible conditions. And it is no wonder, really, to me, that she got injured. And that final was awful. Everything about that spectacle was horrible. It, I, I feel so sad and upset and uncomfortable thinking about it. Elena Rabakina was booed during the presentation. Booed. Because those fans had, had, had been sold a ticket for a, a women's singles final and a women's doubles final. They had to wait four hours-ish for it being being held outside the court. The women's doubles final took place on Pietrangeli Court with absolutely um, no TV cameras because that court had been de-rigged. So it sort of happened behind closed doors. You know, just, just a small example is the fact that, you know, we had come on air for, for Prime Video at the at the start of the day's play. So that's on air 12.45, I think we were. That I was in hair and makeup at 10.15. We, we stayed for build-up to the women's final, but we... We could not stay for the end of it because you can't keep crew. I mean, legally, you cannot keep a crew around that long, that that long a day. So we and probably every other TV station had to pack up for the day. We're not there to cover the end of the women's final. You know, these these ripple effects of just treating women as second class citizens in 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 an unconscious a lot of the time way are so deep and so many um, and it's so frustrating and demoralising mm. Matt uh, it seems to me that there are, there are two stories really from, from the women's final and not specifically the final because as, as we've covered it ended up being a, a non-event in many ways so sadly but what you did have is Rebecca continuing her excellent form of the year and backing up the fact that she's won a Wimbledon title, she's reached an Australian Open final, she's won Indian Wells and here she is now on clay winning Rome. Now yes she was assisted in winning Rome by three retirements along the way uh, Anna Kalinskaya uh, Igor Svantec of course in the third set of their encounter, really really good match which uh, 
eventually Svantec pulled some kind of muscle. We're still waiting to hear how bad it is, but I think the murmurs I'm hearing are that she may be she may be not too badly hurt and that she's hopefully going to be okay for running Garros, so fingers crossed there. And then obviously at 6-4-1, love in the final, and Kalina Kalinina Kalinina has 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 also got injured. So Rebecca has been helped to to the title there, but she still had to do her job. She still had to win the other matches. She still had to put up at all these rain delays. She is somebody who is continuing to deliver, to keep her side of the bargain, and looks just like a just a proper top player who isn't going anywhere week in, week out. The other story you've got is Kalinina generally, and, and that's what I'd rather talk about rather than this final where she was unable to do herself justice for, for, for all the reasons we've, we've covered. Just, just on, first of all, on Kalinina, I'd like to ask you, Matt, because I'm, I'm a casualty of this final starting as late as it did. I, I got a few games in, and I was, I was, I'd been up for since the early hours... I'm on a different kind of clock to, to to a lot of these tennis matches, and I couldn't stay up. I had to I had to go to bed, and I caught up with it the next day. So, just generally, Kalinina, what what did she do? What is what sort of player is she? What got her to this final? Well, I think incredible grit is probably the main thing that got her through these matches in Rome. Uh, she. She had some quite easy wins in the first couple of rounds against Blinkova and Kenin, but then it was three set battles against Madison Keys, Beatrice Haddad Meyer, the longest match of the year, which we talked about the other day, and then Veronika Kudamatova in, in the semi final. And honestly, Kalinina has, has always been one of those players who I've probably classed as a bit tricky. And I've, I've probably done that because I've seen that she's had some good results, but I've not really gone out of my way to watch her really closely and sort of figure out her game but you know if you go back to this time last year she reached the quarters in Charleston she reached the quarters in in Madrid she got a lot of good wins remember her beating Emma Raducanu in Madrid last year she also beat Petra Kvitova at the Australian Open this year and she's done all this you know of course a Ukrainian player with so much going on back home for her and she really she really opened up this week about about what what life has been like um a bomb exploded near the near the academy where her parents are tennis coaches in kiev um a russian assault last year caused her her parents home to be in ruins uh her hometown is under occupation so the the whole family have relocated to kiev uh, including her grandparents who had lived lived in the same place for like over 60 years just just a massive thing for them to have to move so all of that going on and yet she's still put together some some really you know impressive results and 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 this one of course being the best of her career so far and in terms of her game I still don't feel like I've really got a handle on on what it is that makes her so dangerous. But she has a lot more firepower than I had realised. Particularly against Kudamatova, I noticed that suddenly she would just inject some pace off either wing, uh, especially on return a lot as well. And, um, yeah, she's she's going to be one of those players who is, you know, seeded at Roland Garros, could well go deep there if, if, if a draw opens up, if she takes someone out as she did this week just a just a really really impressive week and 
you know, I was sort of worried anyway about the accumulation of, of matches and fatigue going into that final. And then, as Catherine said, when it was delayed and delayed and she was trying to keep warm and keep fit, it was, it was always just going to be so, so tough for her against Rabatkina. She actually started really well and was up an early break. But then Rabatkina sort of steadied and, and took control. And then, and then the match sadly ended, as you said, in, in, in the second game of the second set. But a great week for her. And um, for Rabatkina, as you said, it's just continuing that incredible consistency that she's shown all year that I honestly didn't expect her to be able to show. Um, Yes, it's hard to read massively into this week because of the circumstances of three retirements, but she showed enough in one set against Igor Svantec, to be honest, for me to make me think, okay, yeah, she can can translate that big, big game to a slow clay court and that and that bodes well for Roland Garros as well yeah great news for everybody else for all the top players at Roland Garros that Kalinina will be seeded I, I think that's the, the the top women's players breathe a sigh of relief because she is definitive tricky yeah I, th- I, I sense she, she reads the game exceptionally well uh, mm. and one of those players that you're not quite sure how she's done what she's done in a rally, but it's because she's just kind of predicted where it's going. Maybe I should get her to help me with my predictions because they're not doing too well. Um, but anyway, I'm going to be keeping an eye out for her and, and Rebecca. She's right in the, the argument. I mean, is Rebecca in the mix in a run and go? Hang on, David. What, what, what's the argument? Well, I mean, a is year it, ago, weren't we saying that... Is it mix-adjacent? Igor Sviantek was a, a mix of one a year ago, right? Pretty much. Yeah. I don't think we're saying that this year. Yeah. Would I be surprised if anyone other than Igor Sviantek won the French Open? That's the question, isn't it? You've got a few days. It, it, look, injury complicates it, doesn't it? We don't know if she's going to be fully fit. And I do think... As Matt pointed out in the the last podcast, she hasn't got injured much. I mean, obviously, she's she's very young, and f- fingers crossed that continues, but she's not had to deal with this very much in her career, and she's somebody that's so sort of precise about everything in her world. Everything is ordered, and, you know, we, we've seen her panic quite quickly in matches when she's knocked off Axis. A little bit. I do think the way to get to Shvantec is to disrupt her and get her into a dogfight and a scrap. And I do just think, sort of, in the wider sense, dealing with the weight of a, a niggle on her mind, even if it's not a an injury severe enough to keep her out of Roland Garros, I just think mentally that's a bit of a disruptor that we've not really seen Shvantec have to deal with before. So I, it does it does complicate things for me, but also she might be completely fine so it's such a difficult conversation i would say rebecca is definitely in the mix for me ahead of sabalenka matt probably yeah just because of the matchup with sviontek i think if if those two met at roland garros i think there would be more doubt in my mind that Igor sviontek would be able to to handle rebecca's game you know we've seen sviontek beat Sabalenka this year we we haven't seen her beat Rabatkina and you know Rabatkina has beaten Serena Williams at Roland Garros and reached the quarterfinals there a couple of years ago lost 
lost 9-7 in the third to eventual finalist Pavlia Chenkova. You know, she was she was very close to being in the semi-finals. You know, if, if she'd beaten Pavlia Chenkova, she would have faced Tamara Zidansek in the semi-finals. She, you know, she could have been a Roland Garros finalist a couple of years ago, Rebecca, and I think she's she's come on since then. So I don't feel as secure about her as I do Iga Swiatek if Iga Swiatek's you know fully fit I sort of just expect her to move through that draw kind of easily whereas Rebecca I could maybe see you know I don't think I would be that surprised if she went out early but equally I wouldn't be surprised if she was there in the second week and and winning it quite frankly with her game with her consistency with the record she's had there before yeah I think She's definitely in the mix, and I'm I'm open to discussion about Arena Savalenka, I suppose. Okay, Krejcikova. She should be, shouldn't she? Oh, he'd forgotten mm. all about her. Look at him; you can tell. Well, she needs to do more. Throwing Matt off axis <laughs> now. Look, we've got plenty of time for mixed chat once we get to Paris in a couple of days' time. True. We're going to have podcasts <laughs> coming out your ears, folks. Well, it's kind of what they do. Um, but anyway, um, if, you, if you think the singles finalists had it rough with the weather, spare a thought for Storm Hunter and Elisa Mertens, who beat Jessica Pagula and Coco Goff 6-4-6-4 in a match that was shunted out onto another court eventually because they hadn't really got one set up. And then eventually, I think the players probably just kicked up a sufficient amount of fuss that they did put it on. Um, and it wasn't shown on TV anywhere, from what I could gather. Yeah, and one of the, the things that I'm proudest of with um, Prime Video and our coverage of the the sport over the last five years is that we always give the doubles finals men's and women's the full treatment we we do full presentation building up to them full presentation afterwards we we try and interview the the winners you know we give it the full works and because of what happened on saturday it got no works no works at all i mean if a tree falls in the wood and woods and no one hears it doesn't make a sound did 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 storm hunter and elisa mertens make a sound i <laughs> i couldn't tell you uh, i do know that storm hunter has to play singles qualifying at the french open uh t- today or tomorrow so i mean that was a stressful situation for her backstage uh on saturday so you know in a rock and a hard place situation they they went for the rock uh and played the match out on pier Trangeli. but that's a Big win for those who are having a great year. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. 
Hello Tennis Podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Right, what about the men's draw? Now, you may wonder what's happened to our chat about Rafael Nadal and Novak Djokovic losing to uh, to Helga Runa and Carlos Alcaraz losing well we've done all that that was last week we did a podcast on Thursday night so you can get your uh, your reflections and reaction to Rafael Nadal's announcement that he's not playing Roland Garros and that uh, next year is likely to be his last uh, in that show Uh, and we are going to focus on the very tail end of the men's singles now because it was eventually won in Rome by Daniel Medvedev yes that was correct Daniel Medvedev won his first ever clay court tournament and he won Rome I mean that's pretty big he beat Holger Rune 7-5-7-5 in the final this was the 20th title of Daniel Medvedev's career in his 20th different place I mean that it's just getting ridiculous now. How many can he win still that he's that he's never won before? I mean, it's well, Roland Garros for starters. Uh, that's coming up. Um, oh, there, there you go. Is Roland is is Daniel Medvedev in the mix, Catherine? Oh, he's he's gone there early. Um, yeah, I think he is. Ooh. He's in my mix. Okay, Matt. Yeah, I agree. I think he has to I be. I can't right? believe this. This is ridiculous. I, d- I can't believe what I'm hearing, folks. Is he not in your mix, David? No, he's not. Absolutely not. Who's in your mix? Carlos Alcaraz. Novak Djokovic. A mix of one, <laughs> of two. Okay. May, may, I'm, I might add a couple more, but I don't know whether Daniel Medvedev is. I mean, he's, no chance. I, I, will, I will accept an argument about him not being in the mix, but as in, you know, that's that's up for debate, but... I don't see if he's not in the mix then it's a mix of two I don't know who you can argue is ahead of him well I can argue that, that I, I, I might see Runa and Sinner ahead of him even though he's just beaten Runa Sinner yeah it's all about potential Catherine look he's really really good he's really good I think he'll you know might win the French Open one day he's shown absolutely no signs of winning the French Open in two weeks time three weeks time yeah. How on earth can you put him ahead of the the Rome champion, the man who's going to be second seed and has already won a Grand Slam title? That is, that is ludicrous to me. <laughs> my- Please don't play this to me when Sinner wins the French Open I will. in three weeks' time. <laughs> I will. I've clipped it up. It's my mix. I can put who I want in it. <laughs> Back me up here, Matt. Come on. Oh, It's not that I don't believe in the potential of Yannick Sinner, but... No, Catherine, I'm, I'm with you on this one. I think... 
I think the two other players would be Runa and Sitsipas, but Medvedev beat them both this week. And therefore, mm. you know, given his, his pedigree at slams, he's already won one. Uh, I think he has to be in the mix. I, I also think Nadal not being there would be a good thing for Medvedev. I think that would be a horrible matchup for him on clay. But actually... I think Alcaraz would be a bad matchup for him on clay, but everyone else, I think Medvedev could beat. And I do think generally the whole Medvedev on clay thing has been overplayed in the past, particularly by Medvedev. I think it. I think he's caused himself some issues on that surface by getting it in his head. I mean, if you, if you go back to 2019, he reached the semi-finals of Monte Carlo on clay and the final of Barcelona on clay. He beat Novak Djokovic and Stefanos Tsitsipas that summer on clay. He was absolutely fine on that surface. Okay, not his best, for sure, but he was putting together some good results. Then we go in this strange pandemic period where he just got it in his head that he hated clay. And his results, yeah, they did sort of back that up. But then he, you know, he also reached the Roland Garros quarterfinal as well. And this year, I think the main difference has been just a mental approach. I think he's had such incredible baked-in confidence, to use a term that we've used before, sort of through the hardcore season. And I think he's almost said to himself, I don't want to lose that over the clay court swing like I might do if I approach it in the same way as before. I need to keep this going. I can play on this surface. And he's mentioned a couple of little things. The fact he's wearing new shoes this year, which I think seems to have sort of helped his movement on the surface. And he's got new strings as well, which he tried out in Australia, but didn't really work. But generally, they've been really good for him this season. They've they've helped his depth on his shots. And Perhaps those little elements have have just made him believe a bit more that he can play on clay. And when he believes, he's a match for anyone because of his just ability generally. And he said he arrived in Rome feeling great and backed that up with his with his tennis all week. And yeah, I think there were things this week in Rome that would have thrown him off in the past, such as the weather and the conditions generally. He didn't, he didn't let that get to him this week. And that, that feels like growth, I would say. So uh, for me, I don't think he's a favourite at Roland Garros. I think Alcaraz and Djokovic I would put quite far ahead of him still. But I, I don't think I would be that surprised if, if Daniil Medvedev won it. That, that's his thing, to adapt to places, to win in different places, to show up at big events. And it would be cool. it would be cool if he did. Mm. Well, it certainly would be cool if he did. Um, it's uh, it, it is interesting that he turned up in that press conference and just said, "I, I feel really good," and and he, and he kept on referencing it all the way through the tournament <laughs> as well. Yeah, he it, he felt great this week in Rome, um, which means he obviously spent less time in in the sideways rain than I did. Um, but yeah, I mean, even even by Medvedev's standards, you could feel it radiating off him. He said that he showed. He said he was feeling pretty good throughout the the clay court season, Monte Carlo, um, Madrid. You know, something was starting to click. But then he said he just showed up in Rome and instantly felt it on the practice court. Instantly felt great, and was able to carry that through the week, which I do find interesting. And he's just. 
he's not doing anything different on the surface. I think we've all fallen for a Medvedev troll, exactly as Matt says, for the past few years. He's been telling us clay is for dogs. But he's trolling himself as well. And I hate well. the stuff and it's dreadful. I can't... He's trolling himself and we've all fallen for it. Um, yeah, he, he's just completely changed his attitude. I think a lot of that is feeling fresh. You know, going back to to the last time I saw him play in Italy, that was Turin, the ATP finals at the end of last season, and he was just utterly frazzled. I think he lost he lost three incredibly close matches there, um, and he just looked gone mentally and emotionally. I think he's he's got the energy to be to be right in it at the moment and it's yeah I think he's always been a pretty decent clay court player maybe maybe not quite as good as on other surfaces but I think he's he's always had a bit of a, an existential confusion crisis about surfaces until I've actually just checked they've just updated his bio on the ATP website to say that his favorite surface is hard courts I think since he announced Literally on the court in Indian Wells, I'm a hardcore specialist. Somebody at the ATP said, we need to change the bio, guys, because definitely, until recently, it said, favourite surface is grass. Um, I, I, <laughs> he's not for, really for, ever done anything on grass. For just a second, I thought you were going to say clay, which would have really <laughs> amused me. <laughs> no, but I mean, that, he's had better results on clay than on grass. So, yeah, yeah I, I think he can win on anything, really. Um, look... It would surprise me more than if Djokovic or Alcaraz won it, but he's in the mix. He um, he did, a and dance. I love to see it. He did a dance after beating oh. Stefanos Tsitsipas. Like if if you know the Twister, uh, it was a kind of. It's just the twist, David. All right then, that then, um, and it <laughs> goes like this, and that's what he did, and he and he he really he really wasn't great, but it also was great, and. It was also, unless we are mistaken, Matt, we were watching Amazon Prime Video's coverage and unfortunately they cut to a slow motion of it when we think Catherine was replicating it on screen. Was that happening? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I've done nothing but replicate it for the last 48 hours. I I replicated it in front of Daniel Medvedev. I don't know what came (laughs) over me. He, He was backstage having a quiet moment with his wife trying to prepare for one of his biggest matches of the year and he he obviously came on the podcast during Indian Wells and was very generous with his time and recognized me and gave me a little little wave and uh give me an inch and apparently I take a mile and I just did a little just a mini twist uh and uh I'm I'm going to be thinking about that every day for the rest of my life. <laughs> Deep in the shame well. Deep. Mm. Um, yeah. What do we think of what uh, Holger Rune put up over the last week? I mean, obviously, fantastic wins over Novak Djokovic and then this really big win. I mean, it almost feels as big a win over Kasper Ruud. Sorry to interrupt, David, but there is very one key element. Yeah. It would just We need to stay on, on the twist for a moment oh, longer. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was. Take it away, I mean, man. it was great. Anyway, I burst out laughing as soon as he did it. I thought it was just, you know, another sort of slightly weird, quirky, dorky, funny Medvedev moment. It then transpired, thanks to people's excellent memories, something that I'd forgotten is that 
Tsitsipas did a dance after beating Medvedev in Cincinnati last year. I would say it was a version of the twist. It wasn't quite the same, but it was, you know, that was the basic element. And so Medvedev, we know, remembers everything. And I am convinced that this is another one of his trolls. He hasn't actually said that in any of his interviews, but I refuse to believe that it's anything other than that. And I love it so much. It's... <laughs> it's I cannot get enough. It's yet another beautiful element to this rivalry that they have. And I just want to know where it goes next. You know, if Tsitsipas wins their next match, is he breaking out another dance? If, if Medvedev wins, is he setting the bar something else? You know, they can, they can keep this going, I think. And I'm here for it. It was, it was really, really great Medvedev stuff. So Holker Runa, who was the <laughs> man on the other end of this, seven five seven. Already five. then, <laughs> he, he lost the uh, the final against Dan Medvedev, but he put up a right good show. I thought, you know, he still came out and showed what he got. Different gears to his game. I mean, I I love the fact that when you watch him play, he seems to come out with his standard game which is good enough to beat most people. And actually, I think it's what beat Djokovic, really. He, he kind of decided to just take Djokovic on at his own game for the most part and, and overcame him in that way because I don't think Djokovic was quite at his best, obviously. Um, but then against Kasparud, he was getting bullied again. And he was 4-0 down in their head-to-head. He had lost at the, the French Open last year against him. He's lost the first set of this one he's a breakdown and he's just getting to me it looked like Kasparud big brother coming out to show little brother a thing or two you know who's boss and I'm just going to come out and just you're nothing to me not not like when Kasparud plays against Nadal and he's inhibited and he's overwhelmed and and he's the little brother this was him wanting to put this kid in his place with his big game and he did it for an hour and then Runa just went crazy in terms of what he came back with. He just he was just like a little tornado of a player who who just showed him a completely different look throughout the next set and a half. And Rude had no answer whatsoever. And I was really surprised by how he he fell away. I mean, that was a poor loss in the end for Kasper Rude, but a brilliant win. Not, you know, not as maybe headline grabbing as the Djokovic win, but maybe as important. Don't, don't you think, Matt? Yes, I think so. I think it's very important that he overturned that head-to-head. You know, you, once you start being five and zero down against someone, that can become a thing. And he's he's made sure that you know he's he's got some real confidence to take into his next match with Kasper Ruud and I completely agree with you David about that injection of pace that gear that he has the one thing I would say however is I'm a little bit concerned about his durability his his physicality I suppose I've just been just been looking at him during this clay court season and he has played so many three-set matches. I think half of his matches over the clay court swing have been three-setters. And that's fine because he's, you know, he's won a lot of them. He's reached the final in Monte Carlo, title in Munich, early defeat in Madrid, and then the final again in Rome. Like It's been fantastic. But I do think that maybe 
he doesn't quite have the endurance, the physicality yet, and I'm also thinking ahead to Roland Garros where it becomes best of five sets, to be able to afford those slightly slow starts and suddenly getting it right. I, f- I feel like he needs to be coming out a bit stronger in matches and, and winning them in straight sets. You know, just, just looking at his record, he went, he went three sets with Alexi Popperin. Like, sure, Alexi Popperin is, is a dangerous player, but he's not in Runa's class. I feel like Runa should be trying to win that in straight sets. I'm, I'm, look, I'm sure he was, but he should be winning that in straight sets. He went three sets with Bublik in, in Madrid. He went three sets with Alejandro Davidovich Fakina in Madrid. And I think that was because he was so tired from Munich, where he'd just gone three sets with Bultik van der Zanskulp in the final. Like, there's been a kind of accumulation, and his tennis has been brilliant, and I was absolutely won over by him against, against Djokovic and... Yeah, I think I declared he was in my Roland Garros mix a few days ago. But just seeing the way he faded in that final against Medvedev, those last few games, and just this thought in my mind crystallizing about whether he can keep it together, and that's been over three sets, I've started to have some doubts over whether he can actually do it over Ooh, five have sets. Have you taken him out of your mix then? I think I might have done, which I realize yeah. is, is uh, very you know reactive of me but the evidence is there I think that he needs to show a little more to be able for me to have real confidence that he can just do it over best of five over two weeks it's 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 a very physical slam and that is my one concern because the tennis is right there the tennis is outstanding thank you Catherine agree no notes Agree. He's teetering on the edge of my mix, but the seven best of five set matches element gives me pause. Mm. And it's not a fitness thing. I mean, the, mm. the, I, I, just, there is no sinew of his body that isn't maximised for, for athletic effect. Um, maybe it's a just maturing into his body thing. Maybe he's just unfortunate and has a, you know slightly more injury niggle prone body than other people I don't know but that is yeah no notes on what Matt said that is a concern at the most physical slam and he's a very young bloke who this is all new to and he he does look tired and this sort of week is going to make you feel more tired if you're young and as I think as emotional as he is who puts so much into it and He's going to be drained. I, th- I think he could be vulnerable, actually, in, in early rounds if he played the wrong player early on. I think he could be vulnerable at Roland Garros. So, you know, here I am uh, playing musical chairs with my mix as well. I might have Medvedev in by the time the end of the week comes. But anyway, that's my prerogative. It's my mix. Uh, right, what about the doubles? Uh, Hugo Nice and Jan Zielinski beat Robin Haaser and Botik van der Zanschulp. 7-5-6-1 in the doubles final. They are number one in the race wow uh, and there was uh, there was much mm. frolicking in the clay yeah in the surely rain. the first monegasque tennis player to ever be ranked number one i'm going to call it without researching that i reckon that is i reckon that is true yeah the the heavens opened pretty much on match point so the presentation ceremony happened in a sort of well what was quickly turning into a swimming pool it was it was scenes 
out there on uh, on Centrale. Just very, very quickly, one last thing to mention from the the men's final and Medvedev winning. It elevates him to world number two and elevates his seeding at Roland Garros to two and pushes Djokovic down to three, which obviously means Djokovic could face Alcaraz before the final. Depends on the draw, whether that ends up being significant, but... I definitely think Djokovic would rather be second seed than than third seed. Mm. Yeah, it does feel like quite an important draw generally to be on a certain side. Um, But anyway, it's going to be fascinating. Can't wait. Right, we've had some news in the tennis world off the court over the last week. It involves uh, Simona Halep. Uh, she's been charged with a second separate anti-doping breach for irregularities found in her biological passport. So what is a biological passport? Well, according to WADA, the World Anti-Doping Agency, the fundamental principle of the athlete biological passport is to monitor selected biological variables over time that indirectly reveal the effects of doping, rather than attempting to detect the doping substance or method itself. Uh, Nicole Sapsted, the Senior Director for Anti-Doping at the ITIA, said, We understand that today's announcement adds complexity to an already high-profile situation. From the outset of this process, and indeed any other at the ITIA, we have remained committed to engaging with Ms Halep in an empathetic, efficient and timely manner. We do, of course, appreciate there is a great deal of media interest in these cases. It would be inappropriate for us to comment on specifics until the conclusion of the process, but we will continue to engage with the Sport Resolutions Independent Tribunal and Ms Halep's representatives as expeditiously as possible. Well, I think it's fair to say that she might disagree about, uh, Halep that is, about the manner in which she's been engaged with. Certainly her statement is uh, pretty, pretty strong. This is what she had to say in response. Since October the 7th, when I got charged by the ITAA for a suspicion of doping, I have lived the worst nightmare I've ever gone through in my life. Not only has my name been soiled in the worst possible way, but I'm facing a constant determination from the ITIA for a reason that I cannot understand to prove my guilt, which I haven't ever even thought of taking any illicit substance. It's pretty strong words, accusing them of trying to prove her guilt. Uh, She went on to say, I tried two times to have the opportunity to be judged by an independent tribunal and the ITIA has constantly found reasons to postpone. Now that we have clearly established that I've been victim of contamination, um, they came up with a so-called not normal evolution of my blood. Three world-renowned experts that have studied my blood tests have been extremely clear that my blood is totally normal. I feel helpless facing such harassment and a motivation on their behalf to prove me, of, prove me guilty of something I didn't do. Uh, once again, all my life I have been totally against any sort of cheating. It doesn't align with my values. The only thing I hope for at this point is to have the possibility to finally, across, uh, t- to finally access the independent imp- and impartial judges in a tribunal that will give me the chance to prove my innocence. I have full trust in justice and I look forward to finally being able to present my case at my hearing that is scheduled at the end of May. So that will be coming soon by the looks of things after several delays by the ITIA. Halep goes on to say she says the support of my loved ones the tennis world and my fans have given me the courage to continue to practice every day and fight for the truth I can't thank you more for that 
I mean, they're, they're very strong words, aren't they? And particularly the words that come off the page, Catherine, is the accusation that the ITIA is trying to prove her guilt and using the word harassment. I mean, that, those are pretty, pretty major finger pointings that she's, uh, she's yeah she there. she says she says i have full trust in justice but she's also pretty much alleging a cons- conspiracy in that statement um and sh- she may well have evidence to back that up i don't know she but she doesn't present that evidence in the statement um i from the outside can't see what motivation the authorities the itia would have for for wanting to to frame to co- concoct um, a conviction for of, of doping for a former world number one and two-time Grand Slam champion. I don't see any motive for the sport to, to want to do that. You know, it's a terrible look for the sport that that this is happening. I do have sympathy with her about the length of time the process is taking. That must be incredibly difficult for her. But equally, I want the process to be to be as thorough as it needs to be you know I understand why it takes a lot of time you know think of how long criminal cases can take to to come to trial and that must be difficult for everybody involved but equally it's just not something you want to be shortcutting because the stakes are so so high and there's pretty meticulous forensic stuff involved in terms of evidence so while I'm sympathetic I also think well you know it it takes the time that it that it takes and I just this is completely unspecific to Simona Halep her case her statement but I do you know I've I've watched enough documentaries and researched enough <laughs> doping cases to know that you know, every convicted doper in history pretty much has has denied doping sometimes continually denies doping sometimes eventually ends up confessing whatever it is I just have a policy of not really reading anything into statements of denial no matter who it is or what the situation is that is nothing to do with Simona Halep who I've only ever had positive experiences of and there are plenty of people in tennis who will tell you what a straight as an arrow person she is and how shocked they were by these accusations I've only ever had positive experiences but I just don't really set much store by denials in these situations fair enough um, we'll keep an eye out and uh, and see what comes next in that case and it sounds as though we're going to get a an announcement to that effect very soon matt mentioned earlier on that uh, qualifying at roland garros started today and uh, a few notes about who's in it and who's been drawn against whom the women's draw uh, camilla osorio is the top seed in the same section as Mira Andreeva, who has actually had a win already, I think. I, I, was, I saw her name come up, and you may remember she had a fantastic uh, run in Madrid a couple of weeks ago. A former finalist of the tournament, Sophia Kenin. Hard to believe Sophia Kenin, who was a Roland Garros finalist just, what, two and a half years ago? She's in qualifying, uh, as is former semi-finalist Tamara Zidanecek. They're in the draw. Uh, this is has to be the best the best draw of the whole tournament. Tamara Korpach will play Harmony Tan in round two if they get past their respective opponents Bjorkland and Herzog. Remind us, Matt, who Korpach and Harmony Tan are, and why it's relevant. <laughs> they're the, they're the Phil and Holly of of tennis. <laughs> the Phil and Holly. The Phil and Holly of the tennis world. 
with apologies to non-UK viewers yeah, who if you're not a, don't, listeners who if, don't know what I'm on about. If you're a UK listener, you know that that's a reference to this morning and a falling out. And that's what uh, Corpatch and Harmony Tan had. Uh, mm. And if you're not British, now you do know. <laughs> Anything else you'd like to add, Matt? Well, only that uh, Corpatch put up so many statements on Instagram that week during Wimbledon where she was meant to be playing doubles with Harmony Tan, but Harmony Tan pulled out of the doubles because she was having a run in the singles, notably beating Serena Williams. And uh, Corpatch wrote, if you can't play the day after a three-hour match, you can't play professional. And that is what I always remember about their aggro. So, look, nothing against Miriam Bjorklund and Polona Herzog. (laughs) But I really want Tamara Corpatch and Harmony Tan to face off. Yeah. Okay, well, fingers crossed. Uh, elsewhere, Storm Hunter is up against Victoria Golubic in round one. Clara Towson, remember her? Haven't heard too much about her recently. She's up against Katie Swan of Great Britain. Another British player, Fran Jones, is playing Coco Vanderway. He was a, a US Open and an Australian Open semi-finalist. So that's uh, that's quite a, a first round in the men's draw Aslan Karatsev is, it, is the top seed in qualifying I, th- I can't believe he's not in the main draw blimey he's facing Pierre Ugebert <laughs> well it's because of entry lists being made you know weeks in advance I think his live ranking is is plenty good enough now to get him in to a Grand Slam main draw but yeah he is he is in qualifying for Roland Garros for the time being well uh, Poor old Pierre, Pierre Ugebert can't catch a break, can he? Getting Karatsev first round qualifying. Anyway, uh, Brandon Holt, Tracy Austin's son, is looking to qualify for a third straight Grand Slam. Luca Puy against Thomas Mahatch is in round one. Uh, Yannick Hanfman and Fabian Marajan in the draw as well. They had fantastic weeks uh, last week in Rome. So it'll be really interesting. I, I always love seeing how these players who do really well at a big tournament in advance end up faring when they get to the uh, the biggest tournaments of them all one of the grand slams we're going to be there from wednesday evening the draw is going to be at two o'clock local time on thursday uh, we're going to be at the media day as well on friday we're going to I mean, it's coming thick and fast, folks. We're going to have a couple of great podcasts for you then. And we're also going to have, for Friends of the Tennis podcast, our next edition of Roland Garros Relived. And this one is going to focus on the four musketeers, which uh, has been quite a job for Matt to research. He has spent numerous hours in the Wimbledon Library. I think I think I saw a pile of about 12 books in front of you at one stage, Matt, and hardly any of them in English. So you've been uh, you've really been putting it in. I've interviewed uh, Christopher Clary, um, who was able to interview a couple of the Musketeers uh, back in the 90s, and I also spoke to Guy Forget, who had a lot of experiences with them uh, during his career, and, and some, some great memories, and we'll be able to Give us the idea of the show really is to try to give, give us a sense of what the, the Musketeers, Lacoste, Cochet, Barotra, and Brunion, what they did for, for French tennis and the, how important they were that, and, and to, to French culture generally. I mean, they're, they're, they really are an unknown to me in many ways, apart from very surface 
knowledge of Lacoste being a label on clothing and the fact that they were players in the 20s and that they they won a lot but I didn't I don't know anything about them really so absolutely fascinated to to dig into it all and that show will be coming for you late next week for friends of the tennis podcast we've also released uh, a couple of weeks ago and uh, nick bolletieri uh tennis relived show we're going to have q a shows we're going to have a uh, a review show after the tournament's over at French Open, as well as we always do with our voice note contributors. So uh, do become a friend of the Tennis Podcast if you'd like to get access to all of these. And that's how you help us to keep on going to the Grand Slams and to be able to produce all these podcasts that we're doing at the moment. And we're hoping you enjoy them. Andy Murray has withdrawn from Roland Garros. That's a bit of news. He's going to rest up ahead of the grass. Is that a surprise to either of you at all? Do you think that's the... Uh, the right call on the surface of what you've seen? I mean, he's played a lot of clay court tennis. Uh, yeah, right, I guess, right call. Don't know. We'll see, won't we? That was good analysis, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. I suppose just with the context of his clay court season, I thought he might give Roland Garros a go. The fact that he's, he's tried a bit on clay, uh, I sort of think either have a either have a clean break and skip the clay or play it. And he's sort of done a bit of a half-and-half half thing, but he knows his body, and I think he would be... He would never forgive himself if he got injured at Roland Garros mm. and wasn't able to play this grass court season, which he's been talking up, I think, and I think he genuinely believes he can he can put a result together, you know, at Queen's, at Wimbledon, that's the priority for him. So it wasn't a huge surprise. He also got a 6-3-6 love thumping at the hands of Stan mm. Varenka last week in a, a challenger. That kind of uh, exactly helped the mood uh, regarding clay court tennis. Talking of which, uh, there are four tournaments on clay this week in the lead-up to Roland Garros. The uh, ATP Geneva 250 with Rude, Fritz, Dimitrov and Zverev as the top four seeds. Leon has Felix Ogialiasim, Cameron Norrie, Tommy Paul, Francisco Sarundolo as the top four seeds. Jack Draper is playing his first event since Monte Carlo. The WTA has events in Strasbourg and Rabat. In Strasbourg there's Magda Lynette and Elisa, Elisa Mertens. Rabat's got Trevisan, Stevens, Parks, Sharif, Fernandez in the draw. And the first ever Burundian player in a WTA draw is as well taking part in Rabat. That is Sada Nahimana. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, but uh, that's, a, that's a name to look out for as well. And finally, we have a mascot for this week, and it is the dearly departed Ernie. And we've got a lovely picture of Ernie, owned by Mario Rivera, who tells us we just said goodbye to him last year after 15 years of loyalty, love and happy memories. He was a soft-coated Wheaton Terrier and loved to take walks and spend time with family. And Ernie, I can tell you, has the kindest face. And we are going to have a picture of Ernie in our newsletter later this week, so you'll be able to have a look for yourself um, and uh, I think we better not show it to Catherine before she gets on a flight because she's not I've already seen it rest in doggy heaven Ernie oh bless lovely chap we've got our mascots I've got Maisie Catherine's got Xenia Matt's got Darwin Billie Jean has got Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss sponsoring her and she's also been frolicking around in the grass 
over the weekend. I had a lovely time in the sun while Catherine was getting wet in the rain. Uh, We've got our top folks and executive producers, Jamie, Hannah and Drew. Thank you to all of you for making this show possible. And we've got our shout-outs, Matt. We have George in Brighton. Hello, George. Right, George. Like George Diaz, the former umpire. Oh, that's very good. That's very good, Mm. Catherine. And Brighton, where I was uh, researching recently as a tournament that was held for one year only in 2000. And Catherine's travel partner from Rome, Tim Henman, won it. Um, and it's also the uh, the tournament at which Goran Ivanovic broke all of his rackets and had to retire from a match as a result. He was talking about that the other day, actually. Tim is, Tim is minding, minding my bags as we speak. <laughs> Good lad, Tim. Who That's else have we got, Matt? Uh, we've got Matt in Sydney. Hello, right. Matt. All right, Matt. Matt's a good name. Matt says, as an Australian, I've had a good laugh at the sensation joke. So, so true. <laughs> like Matt Ebden, a, a sometime sensation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very, a very good double sensation these days. Not as good as Rinky mm. Hijikata and whoever his partner Jason is. Jason Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyway, th- thank you, <laughs> thank you, Matt. Um, who else we got? Our Matt. <laughs> Finally, we've got Karen Maybom, who is in Pulley, just outside Lausanne in Switzerland, but originally from Denmark. Wow. I feel like we know Karen. We've definitely given Karen a shout-out before, I think. Yes. Yes, I'm yes, pretty Yes, which confident. always makes me feel like, oh, my goodness, I need to say something different to what I said last time. So what's the, what's, what's the obvious thing that I would say? Don't say that. I mean, I've never been to Lausanne. Uh, do you know some people called Karen? How are we spelling Karen? K-A-R-I-N. All right. Well, I don't know many Karens with an with an I, so you're unique, Karen. And uh, and Denmark, anything, David. Denmark, the home of Holger Rune. So you know, formerly. Oh, hang on. I thought Lausanne isn't that well, in Swi- Switzerland? Originally from Denmark. Ah, Holger Rune. Right. Should have gone instantly down the Rune route. <laughs> well, Sorry, Karen. So I, I've, I, I I nearly bailed you out without any awkwardness, and then suddenly Wozniacki and Rune. <laughs> well done, Denmark. Well done, Karen. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay, well, I think that's about it for this edition of the Tennis Podcast. Catherine, you better go and board your plane, <laughs> and uh, we'll do all of this all over again when we get to Paris. We cannot wait. It is just two short days away. And then we're going to be there bringing you tennis podcasts every single day from next Sunday. We'll also have two preview shows for you as well. One after the draw, one after media day where we get to speak to all the players. And we've also got that tennis relived show as well about the four musketeers. We hope you enjoy all of it. Thanks for listening. We'll speak to you soon. Mom. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.